Hi, this is another episode of the Sanctioned Citizen Podcast with your host, Tempest Del Fuego. I am going to do a podcast here with you about this hot, sticky issue from Georgia. Apparently, uh, it's, it's time to vet the issue bases behind the voter ID contest in the state of Georgia. Do I have any business meddling in state Georgia affairs? Not really. You know, I'm not their constituent. I feel really kind of remote from their uh, issue bases and their processes. I don't know their state government. I'm not on the ground, like, trying to get any laws pushed, passed, repealed, or otherwise. I feel really, you know, like it's none of my business. But when it comes to the issue base of identity mandates, I feel really connected to that issue because I worked on it for many years. And I don't believe identity mandates are the panacea. They will not solve our, all of our problems. And I know that there is a single issue base that I have stiff rivals who really believe that identity is going to solve all their problems. And I know that it isn't because they're only using it as a vanguard for other issues and to make people the problem, not problems the problems. They don't focus on issues or problems. They focus on people because it's easier to to criminalize your enemies than it is to make friends with people and debate things on merit. So uh, that's a problem political system-wide in America and I think everywhere because it's about power. It's easier to make your opponent the enemy and treat them like the bad guy. And one of the ways to do that is to criminalize their identity or to make identity so punitive and awful to deal with that you you just give up and go home and uh i refer to one person mo Amer, his uh, his comedy special for what it's like to deal with the relentless demand for flight identity and uh passport identity and all forms of identity because he was a Muslim in Texas during the Bush administration. He's a Kuwaiti uh, refugee national. And I loved his comedy. His comedy was really touching. It, it, it was right there for all of the issues that I've ever confronted in all of my life because, you know, my mother's uh, a Mexican-American from South Texas, and that's there's no getting away from that. Uh, getting pulled over and someone's peering into your ID looking for things that aren't there. They just aren't on the card. They're, they're just not on the card, but they're just staring into it like they are divining something about you. And that is weird. And, uh, you know, while it is t- it's a totally survivable event, it's a little offensive, but, you know, everybody went on with their day. You know, it's, it's an inconvenience, but the whole point of over-mandating identities to make a normative process, you know, layered with inconvenience and bureaucracy so that you will give up and go home. That's the point. So I think it's way too much government. And the people who rely on driver's licenses to get alcohol and do all these things have a lot of peccadilloes and want more rules over things they can't control. And they shouldn't have more control over because, you know, If you wouldn't choose it, don't choose it. It doesn't apply to you. You know, if someone's beating up their kid, 
go call the cops. That's an actual crime. But if, you know, someone has a drug and alcohol problem, you don't have any control over that. They're going to use their card to go get some alcohol if they have to use their card. But I, I highly believe that the person behind that counter would have rights to, like, turn them away for other reasons. Like, dude, you're drunk. You've had too much. We're 86ing you, cutting you off. Those are the rules of this establishment. Go away. So I think that the things that are controlled by identity or permitted by identity are to administrate to children and to treat adult people like children. You know, give everyone hall passes based on their ID. And if you don't have ID, well then you're not old enough. So most of the identity requirements are to kind of screen children, but then they extended that infant infantilization problem to adults. And that happened during, for me, I noticed this problem during the Clinton administration when they started putting social security number requirements on everything. And see, your social security number was more or less a, a sacred identity article where it was only supposed to be used in, in certain circumstances. But unfortunately, that administration put a requirement to use social security numbers on everything and it became crazy making for people like me. Things that I wouldn't use my social security number for at all, I was pilling it out right and left and I felt so horrifyingly open to malignment. And they still found a way to make my life inconvenient and make, make me crazy anyway. Because they were over-bureaucratizing access to things. People with religious, you know, peccadillas, they didn't like me because of my religion. They didn't like me because of my hair color. They didn't like me because they didn't like me. They used identity as a cudgel. So you can do that, you know, if you're behind a desk make ident demand for an identity and they're like, oh, well, there's something wrong with your card. There's something wrong with your identity article. Go away. Go away, go away, go away, go away. And that is discrimination, but it's it's tough to, to kind of call them on that. You have to make a kind of a strong case, go in there with a camera, show a repeated pattern of this before you can really kind of nail someone in on discrimination. So that's how I kind of became sensitized to the issue, but I only got involved because of Real ID. So from here on, from there on forth, it became kind of like a, a, a cudgel for me, or like a single issue for me, maybe not a cudgel, because it denies people access to the things that they need based on personal discrimination. That's my position on that. And it won't change because of my personal experience. So uh, with that, I'm going to talk about what's going on with voter ID contest in Georgia. So uh, in this edition of the Sanctioned Podcast, Sanctioned Citizen Podcast, uh, let me begin with the type of world that I would want. The America that I dream of. It's a pretty simple world. It's, it's a place where there's no dragnets of any kind for American citizens. If someone commits a crime, they receive a fair and just trial. If they're sentenced, that they are sentenced fairly. Uh, that way people repay their debt to society and criminality doesn't go on to become the only career choice that that person will ever have. People would be able to reasonably work off their debts 
from loan investments because they have plenty of work. Um, diseases are cured and people have access to the cures. Children are educated and protected from harm, so forth and so on. Moderate, normative, not fiery, loaded, you know, crazy things. I don't want crazy things. We currently have a lot of deviants from the simplicity of the things that I want for America. People make each other the problem instead of the problem and the issue being the problem. This is entertaining for the mentally ill and for our foreign enemies. Identity bills evolve because people don't approach problems as problems. They approach people as problems. Identity laws are passed because people pass bills based on making people the problem instead of arguing the problem, whatever it is, fairly in a directly debated manner. Lawmakers pretend their work is in stone and can never be undone. They tell you that. Their lawyers tell you that. The truth is when people decide on an issue, it will be brought forward by a representative in the process and it is owed a debate. Our culture is being warped by a new strain of toxic leftist dialect, I believe imported by the CCP, where corporations are people. These corporation people are their own government. These unelected, unaccountable quasi-governments have many CCP members on their board. They consult them and their lawfare firms and adopt policies in their small governments that reflect their agendas. These corporations then fund small, kinetic ground movements and inject them with large amounts of money to do two things, control or buy the opposition and make themselves immune to their kinetic scrutiny. They own or pay off the mob. So what's on a CCP agenda for corporations and America? Well, they want to own all the monetizable IP. You know, they'll steal to get it or they'll try to get it some other way. They want unlimited surveillance of any of their business interests or their business areas. They want Americans to not fight any attempt to colonize our lands, our local governments, or our enterprises. They want monopolies and an end to debate. They want unqualified governance based on partisan affiliation and appointed political actors to make decisions from the mothership. They want to further centralize state to national governance. So after carefully cultivating this snake, they can just chop the head right off of their pet and step in as Imperial Asian colonizers. Do I sound like a crazy person? I don't think so. When I see American bureaucrats, media agencies, politicos mimicking this agenda, pro forma, I have a forming belief that they are being coached by the Chinese government and being given incremental lessons in self-defeat from the toxic fascist left. Now, fascism is just corporatized government. Corporatism is a fancy update to the textbook name of fascism. Unfortunately, fascism lost its relevance for overuse by everyone as an epithet. The taxonomy of racism and issues of race are facing the same fate of irrelevancy, which is deeply problematic because there is real racism. Unfortunately, bias and racism is being redefined by the critical race theory. In critical race theory, anyone white is the bad guy and must be publicly shamed and denied rights, commerce, and earned power must be forfeit to a person of color. That's racist. 
and it is definitely ripped right from Mao Zedong's Struggle Sessions playbook. It is how you criminalize your opposition. You make their identity a crime. Discrimination in the United States is a legal term to discover and prosecute the denial of a person's commerce, fair legal representation, and access to normative needs based on their race, gender, ethnicity, creed, political affiliation, religion, or any other signifying trait protected by U.S. law. Here is how this works. When Native Americans were targeted for ethnic cleansing in the 1800s, all Native Americans or American Indians were criminalized, first for being labeled as bad people, as being non-whites or non-colonials at that time by the government. After they rounded up, but it first started as a social movement, so they rounded up all the undesirables and placed them in prison camps in remote areas called reservations, and then the people in America called that native life for a while. And then there was the 1960s, and we had reform, and that was good. I don't know about you, but I don't think America should have a second genocide on their card. After repudiating the cause of the first and being allowed to move on into the future. You know, especially after fighting a genocide in World War II. And especially when the only real beneficiaries for, you know, a move in that direction are the business interests connected to the communist one-party statist and democratic monopolist who have current genocide in progress against religious and ethnic minorities in Xinjiang. So, I don't think you owe them anything. You don't owe them anything. Even if you work for them, you don't owe them anything. I mean, give them what they're paying for, but, you know, you don't owe them any soul. Unfortunately, Democratic interests were flagged as pair-bonded with the CCP for me the moment they shut out all other parties in California. Unless they break rank with the CCP, scribble up a repeal section for the immediate debate of Citizens United to repeal that law, permit American Democratic debate allowing the voices of their rival parties, Republican, Libertarian, Socialist, whoever, they've got to let someone else in. Right now it's a one-party state. In California. Stop depressing law enforcement. Stop depressing law enforcement of antitrust suits. And cease all your moves to federalize all state government processes. Because that looks like the CCP to me. And they earned that label. So, I think they, that other political movements in this nation need to go rub the Pelosi's noses in their one-party state business and demand a transpartisan debate. So, in fact, I think it's time to go get a law firm that represents American citizens' interests who aren't the U.S. government to sue the CCP in international court for IP and identity theft and COVID-19. COVID-19 death and injury lawsuits. Civil. Seriously, go to the international court and go get your pound of flesh. If Biden wants to play footsie with China six months ago in business and then alter his tune to serve the American people, I'm certainly all for this type of repentance, but I don't think he is really the purest advocate for your interest right now. So I think you should self-advocate. So 
manipulating American identity as a proxy lever by corporatocracy isn't the way our system works. No. Agitating Delta and Coca-Cola as privatized government interests is not how it works. You use a court system. If you don't like Georgia state law government, take it to court. Not to a battery of boycott, struggle session, transportation coteries embedded with CCP interests like Delta. Let's imagine if Delta or Coca-Cola tried to take whatever their opposition is to court right now. Right now, with whatever they've got. Um, other than their PR firms and their social media uh, estrangement you know, what was it that McConnell called it? He called it the outrage industrial complex. I thought it was brilliant. Um, so the court might tell them today, whatever they brought them on paper, and says, you know what, this is out of bounds. You need to step off and you don't have a case. Why? Why would they tell them that? Well, I'll tell you why. And I, I'm against voter ID. I'm against it. When a state passes a law... Unless I committed resources and ground game to repeal said law in that state, I better shut up and go home. There was always opposition to voter ID in states that have it. The local government voted in favor of voter ID law. Now it is law. Unless you're committed to repealing said law using the process, which is go find a representative, go get your lobby together, you don't get to decide for the state what is and isn't law after the fact. You don't get to do that. That's not how it works. So here's what I would tell these virtue signaling puppets of Delta in bed with the CCP. Where were you in all your hot running lava and venom against identity bandits when they first went into law? Because this is kind of like this weird like tail addendum to address balloting. And it's like COVID balloting and the mail-in absentee balloting. So there was a voter ID law in existence already. You know, I, I didn't see any any big flap. So where were they? They were probably in their bed getting a good night's sleep or worrying about canceled flights and uh, peanut allergy lawsuits. Uh, they were nowhere. I'm patently against identity mandates of any kind. Uh, if, you, if they wanted to come fund me tomorrow, I would take the money and go fight identity mandates and work to, to end all U.S. identity mandates. But, you know, I wouldn't want to work for anyone who hasn't shed every CCP poisoner off the company payroll and denounced a genocide in Xinjiang. I don't want to work for that guy. So, I have two dominant political interests against my interests. One who will play somewhat on the level and come to the debate. And the other one rules by shutouts, economic regressivism and sanctions, tech media censorship illegal transactional surveillance, and monopolies. And uh, I am still here. So come talk to me. I'm only getting louder.